Welcome to the Sports and Stuff Podcast, presented by Team Media. Here's your host, DTJ. Welcome to episode two of the Sports and Stuff Podcast here on Team Media. For more information about the team, visit our website, www.theteam.media. And also, check us out on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at The Team LLC. This show is now also available on most major podcast outlets, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, Spotify, and so much more. Each week, we dive headfirst into the world of sports, and pick a few topics we think will garner the most conversation. We're always interested in hearing your take and invite you to leave a comment below or hit us up on social media and share your thoughts. For episode two, I want to talk NBA life in the bubble, baseball in no fan land, and three storyline ideas WWE should adopt from me for a fee, of course. Let's start with the best thing I heard in sports this week. Where we at? the sound of 46-year-old Hall of Fame wide receiver Terrell Owens in a foot race against 26-year-old Chiefs running back slash part-time wide receiver Tyreek Hill and a third contestant last weekend at a running track in Miami. It's reported Chad Ochocinco was also in attendance and reportedly raced Tyreek as well. And I'm sure both of them lost to Tyreek. The story as impressive as the unofficial 4-3-5 turned in by Tyreek is the 4-4-6 turned in by T.O. I mean, how many 26-year-old NFL backs and receivers run a 4-4-6? Yes, we know speed and route running don't always correlate neatly. For context, SI recently reported that Jerry Rice ran a 4-5-8 during his combine workout in 1985, and he turned out to be the GOAT of receivers. I mean, you can make a similar case for T.O.'s greatness, adjusted for error inflation, of course. After all, he is a Hall of Famer. The feat is impressive at any age. Is it enough to make you curious about T.O.'s value in today's league, sports fans? Do you think he can make an impact for your team? Leave your thoughts below or on our social media spots and let us know what you think. I would love to hear your take. Okay, okay. Let's do one more. There comes a time in life when a man has perfect clarity, and that moment for me is now. Stronger, faster, and more in tune with my mental and physical abilities than ever before. And that's why I have agreed to fight Roy Jones Jr. on Triller, September 12th. All right, that's the sound of 54-year-old former heavyweight champion and once baddest man on the planet, Mike Tyson, announcing his return to the ring after a 15-year hiatus. His opponent is another Hall of Fame boxer and talker, and former champ Roy Jones Jr. The two are scheduled to compete in an eight-round exhibition match that will main event a card hosted by medium platform Triller. 
which Tyson hopes will mark the official precursor of a Legends Boxing League. I mean, you've probably seen the videos over social media over the last couple of weeks of Tyson working out in preparation for something. To me, he looks in better shape today than he was when he was last active in boxing, losing the bums like Julius Francis, Lou Savarese, Andrew Galata, Brian Nielsen, Danny Williams, or Kevin McBride. I mean, we know Roy Jones' mouth is always healthy. If he's even half as in shape and body, we may have a worthwhile fight on our hands. Look, I get it. It's only an exhibition. But honestly, given Mike's past, his struggles with personal, emotional, and mental challenges, I can celebrate this, his ability to return to the boxing ring healthy as a win in itself. Right, in just a matter of days, the NBA reboots its season from the bubble, also known as Walt Disney World in sunny Orlando, Florida. Over the past few weeks, teams have been assembling and scrimmaging against each other for the first time in about four months and under vastly different circumstances. I mean, by now, most players would be chilling somewhere on vacation or in an Olympic year, scrimmaging with Team USA. NBA rookies would be preparing for summer leagues. But for the first time in our lifetime, the early summer classic will now be the late summer classic. Both ESPN and Bleacher Report have great write-ups on teams to watch during the reboot. But since I don't get endorsement fees from either of them, you can go check those articles out on your own. A consistent theme in everyone's analysis is the role health will play in team success. I mean, there are obvious concerns about the unpredictability of the coronavirus which is the driver for the league taking up seclusion in Mickey's world in the first place. The virus could totally derail any team at any point. Sam Amick of The Atlantic wrote a fabulous piece in June about the concerns numerous NBA GMs had about the Orlando bubble, including potential long-term implications for the league if too many players get sick. You should go check out that article. Really good read. I mean, God forbid a major star gets critically ill and dies. I mean, most of us will pontificate in hindsight at a decision to continue the season as short-sighted, greedy, or reckless. In this, the NBA would have to do some serious soul-searching, and both owners and players would have to answer some tough questions about their motives to return. The flip to this is that if the NBA pulls this reboot off, without any major illnesses or setbacks, and produces a compelling product, they will seem wise and heroic. I mean, sports fans are itching for a distraction. That's no disrespect to NASCAR or soccer or the PGA or MMA and boxing or tennis or any other live sporting event that has been on TV. I mean, I've personally watched many of you over the last few weeks. I'm absolutely done with all the sports reruns. And while the Bulls documentary, The Last Dance, was a nice snack, it just made me hungry for more sports again. However, it's also not lost on me that these players are fathers and sons and brothers and uncles with families who want them to come home safe, just as we would want any member of our own families. And in this context, I can't help but to wonder if the reboot is wise. Yeah, I want it. But do I want it at the cost of someone else's life? Dramatic, sure, but only if I'm wrong. I'm sure the league and players will do all 
they can to stay safe and healthy and put that health over everything else. But I'm sure COVID is weighing heavily on the team's collective mind. So physical health to me will be key. Another health I want to touch on is mental. Now, many of us who have had the opportunity to work from home over the last four to five months can attest to the challenges of working under a form of house arrest or seclusion and what it does to the psyche. As a leader, I found myself in more unnecessary meetings over the last four months than I've had to endure, let's say, the last two to three years of my career. And no, I'm not one of those employees who turns on his cameras during video calls, nor do I ask my team to, nor do I care that everyone else's camera is on. And if you ask me why I don't turn it on, I tell you, because I can't consistently guarantee that my camera will be on for every meeting. So I consistently keep it off. That's the fair thing to do. Anyway, I do make very unfair and likely off-base observations about people who do turn their camera on and their choice of Zoom backgrounds or their inability to navigate between sharing their screen and muting their line. And I'll, I'll, I'll digress. On a serious note, something else I have seen quite a bit in people is weariness and faces exasperated with burnout that are otherwise normally bright and cheery in face-to-face settings. Behind the scenes in many homes throughout this country and the world, people are being asked to juggle difficult family care arrangements right now and are struggling to keep their heads on straight and above water. For this, I really do empathize with the challenge in keeping it all together. Not that NBA athletes will face such a level of extreme seclusion, but the bubble will force many players to find new outlets for stress or routines to keep them sharp and focused. They will be separated from people they love and living life in an unfamiliar place under very high pressure circumstances. I mean, in the normal NBA playoff run, teams undertake a form of lockdown from social media parties, drama, or anything that could hurt the focus of the team. Even still, they could be allowed to also enjoy certain comforts, like being able to sleep in your own bed, working out in your own gym, or being around their friends and families, all as ways of mitigating stress. Usually being able to do something different is just the distraction you need to get your focus and energy back. How will players adjust when they can't do that? Or better stated, how creative will they need to be to find helpful outlets? In my opinion, the team that has the strongest cohesion and can stay the healthiest is the real favorite to win it all. But let us know what you think. What advice would you give to NBA players on staying healthy and focused in the bubble? Leave your comments below or hit us up on social media with your thoughts. All right, stick around for some four fee advice I have for the WWE brass. And after this quick break, my hot take on the upcoming MLB season. Never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. And you can't imagine the reward. 
To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. These are the sounds of a dinner. A dinner that almost didn't happen. A dinner now served, thanks to people like you. Due to COVID-19, 17 million more Americans may face hunger. Feeding America is helping our neighbors in need. And if you're able, you can too. Donations are being accepted at feedingamerica.org slash coronavirus. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Feeding America. 200 Food Bank Strong. Sports and Stuff Podcast is presented by Team Media. Check us out on the web, theteam.media, or on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Team LLC. Welcome back to the Sports and Stuff podcast here on Team Media. Before the break, I promised you my thoughts on the upcoming MLB season. But before I get into that, a quick recap of baseball's opening night doubleheader. In game one, the Yanks looked great in their 4-1 win over the defending champion Washington Nationals. Garrett Cole went five strong innings, only surrendering one run for a 1.8 ERA in his first win of the season. Giancarlo Stanton kicked the party off early with a first inning two-run home run off Matt Scherzer. He ended the game with three total RBIs, the only other added by Aaron Judge. The game was called after the fifth inning due to rain. But look, a win is a win. In the nightcap, the Dodgers spanked the Giants 8-1. Dustin May got the start, but the story was second baseman Enrique Hernandez, who recorded five RBIs including a single in the fourth, a two-run single in the seventh, and a two-run home run in the eighth. Dustin May recorded the win, ending the game with a 2.08 ERA. Now, my thoughts on the season. Okay, so in my opinion, the 2020 season will either be the catalyst or death nail in Major League Baseball as we know it. Is that fair? Probably not. But if we're honest, they did this to themselves. This year, the league is experimenting with a number of rule changes designed to speed up the game, make the postseason deeper and more compelling, and most importantly, maintain relevance in a sports marketplace that has more options vying for viewership and market share. For generations, baseball has enjoyed a favoritism and preference as America's pastime. Names like Ruth, Garrick, DiMaggio, they're as iconic in American history as Washington, Lincoln, or Kennedy. The problem with history, as recent events reveal, is that when we tell the whole story, our perspective of that history changes. Heroes sometimes become villains, and we are left with some uncomfortable conversations about how to redefine our legacy. Much like America, Baseball is long overdue for a reckoning, a deep examination about its unwritten rules and standards of conduct designed to maintain legacy and tradition, but to a new era of fans seems arbitrary and unnecessary. Another comparison between baseball and America 
is its lack of acknowledgement about how its diversity has served to help support the survival of the league and advance its profile internationally over the decades. Yes, there is a Jackie Robinson day. Yes, there have been increasing acknowledgement of the contribution of African-Americans, such as those who played under the old Negro League. At the Giants game, I even saw a Black Lives Matter insignia near home plate, and the pregame was full of players and coaches kneeling and acknowledgement of the racial climate we find ourselves currently in. And yo, all of this is dope, but the cultural contributions extend beyond a certain hue. So Bleacher Report did an awesome write-up on the 20 best international players of all time. I have a copy posted on my website and Facebook page. The problem as I see it is that baseball, like America, often acknowledges a certain race or culture by its talent and not its humanity. Like that race is full of good hitters or that race is full of good pitchers. Even more egregious to me, will put the investment in plucking a player out of a country that has a lot of social unrest, but make no further investment in the people of that country also having access to resources and systems that can improve their lives. That just seems very hypocritical to me. Baseball has an opportunity to right its wrongs by first acknowledging its history, not curated or polished, but for what it is, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We didn't know any better then. We know better now. But we must also be careful and mindful that the future will judge the history we are presently making with an even more critical eye. If you do the best you can with the right intention and the highest integrity, history will have a good story to tell about you. I really do hope baseball gets this moment right because a lot of eyes are on them now. You should also know that it's not my intention on this episode to talk through all of the changes Major League Baseball should make, but we'll talk about it as the season progresses. As for today, what you really want to know is which teams I think will have the best chance at a World Series win in this shortened experiment of a season thanks to the coronavirus. To be perfectly honest with you, there are only six teams out of the 30 I even care about this season. Now, unlike previous years, 16 teams will have an opportunity to make the playoffs this year, which means you pretty much have to be horrible to miss out. You big dummy. And yes, 14 teams will be horrible. But again, I only care about six. So starting with the National League, let's talk about who they are. Number three is the Cincinnati Reds. Wait, what? I won't bother boring you with advanced baseball metrics like whip or runs while constipated. They have been rebuilding since the start of Obama's second term. They made really good postseason transactions in Nick Castellanos, Mike Mastaskis, Wade Miley. They got a Japanese star, Shogo Akayama. They also have a legit ace in Trevor Bauer, who will only need to win eight to 10 games to keep them in contention. You only have to make it in the dance. Help will be the great equalizer once the playoff starts. Number two is the San Francisco Giants. Why? Because as a resident of the Bay Area, I had to pick between them or the A's. Also, 
the Giants are good at finding ways to win a ball game. I mean, not the one on Thursday night, but they'll be fine. Are they high powered offense? Nope. Are they stacked with pitching aces? Not really. Johnny Cueto, Jeff Samarja have a a decent bullpen. But if they can get decent production from Hunter Pence and return Evan Longoria and Brandon Belt back healthy, then they may have a shot to make some noise. Number one is the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, good starting pitching, good bullpen, good hitting, good base running, pretty deep team all around. But like everyone else, it will come down to health. I expect Mookie Betts to have a pretty good season. But remember the name Cody Bellinger, because he is my pick to be the star of the season. If the team is able to gel quickly and establish some rhythm early on, to me, they're going to be the team to beat in the NL. So some of you may be upset that I didn't pick the defending champs for my top three. And no, it's not to suggest that I don't think they'll make the playoffs. This is just a list of teams I care about. So now, on to the AL. Number three, the Tampa Bay Rays. Why? Because over the past three seasons, they have missed out being the team you were talking about in the AL due to two 100-game winners in their division in 2018, the Red Sox and Yanks, and another 100-game winner in 2019, again, the Yanks. The Rays were 90-72 and in their 2018 campaign, but didn't make the playoffs. How many times does a 90-win team usually go on to win the World Series? Not making the playoffs was just crazy. In 2019, they were even better at 96-66, and but lost to the eventual AL champs, the Houston Cheat, I mean, Astros. Number two, the Cleveland Indians. Much like the Dodgers, this team has good starting pitching, a good bullpen, great hitting, and plays great defense. I expect Carlos Santana, Francisco Lindor, and Jose Ramirez to play really well in this shortened season. And rather they dominate the season or limp into the playoffs, I expect their deep bullpen to make them formidable when they get there. So number one is the New York Yankees. Look, New York finally has that legitimate number one ace in Garrett Cole to complement an already decent pitching rotation. Garrett only needs to win eight games and stay healthy into the playoffs. The Yankees have a power lineup that will strike fear in the hearts of right or left-handed pitchers. They also have money, and they're going to be willing to spend smartly to fill any holes that emerge. To me, that's the team to beat. So the World Series matchup, I'm predicting Yankees and Dodgers. Yankees will have home field advantage, and... Ball game over! Yankees win! My 2020 MLB projection. I'm sure many of you disagree, so let me hear about it. Leave your comments below or hit us up on social media. Another quick break, and then I'll have some storyline advice for Vinnie Mac and the WWE Brass. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America 
and the Ad Council. Never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Here, we talk sports and stuff. Join the conversation, www.theteam.media, or Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Team LLC. Sports fans. All right. So, on the heels of what I rate as a rather successful pay per view, the horror show at Extreme Rules, there are several storyline ideas I think WWE brass should consider. And if they decide to, please forward my cut on the creative. I'll email you guys the details when necessary. In my recap, of the Extreme Rules pay-per-view posted on the website, I mentioned how happy it made me to see aggressive Kofi Kingston. I thought, like so many other fans, you know, his run to the title last year had to be one of the best storylines in some time. Did Kofi deserve the title? Probably not. But the story made you believe he was a worthy champion. And at least for me, made me wonder why he hadn't gotten more opportunities at the U.S. or Intercontinental titles. Anyway, more disappointing than the lackluster way they had Kofi drop the title to Brock Lesnar was a lack of realistic fallout from the loss in the storyline. I mean, I'm not saying there should have been some long, drawn-out back and forth between Kofi and Brock. No one would believe that. But the fact that Kofi didn't seem angry or seek revenge to me, was a missed storyline opportunity to further develop Kofi's profile. It could very well be that Kofi didn't want all the attention, but I would love to see a heel turn for Kofi, maybe even an angle where they flirt with an eventual New Day breakup. Doesn't mean they have to pull the trigger all the way, and I do understand the importance of the New Day to the fan base, but I think they're just missing an opportunity to get more value out of Kofi's character. Another underused commodity is Kevin Owens. Similar to Finn Balor's return to Wednesday night, I think KO's talents are better suited to the Triple H, Shawn Michaels, NXT-led fast-paced style of action. I also think more veteran presence of stars like him and Finn better help prepare the NXT stars for making that leap to Vinny's style of storytelling and character development and match calling. There is no reason stars like Ricochet, Aleister Black, and Shayna Baszler shouldn't be more prominent, except for Vinny's preference to reinvent characters, which seems to defeat the work NXT does in giving these stars a name and a platform. I'll say it. Vinny or his creative team for Raw and SmackDown or both are ruining an opportunity to have a more compelling product. And fine, they don't have to take my opinion with any legitimacy because I've never booked a match or written a storyline, but I'm a fan who often chooses not to watch their Raw and SmackDown products 
because they appear to be trash. All right, I'll digress. If the goal is to use NXT as a developmental proving ground more than as it be a legitimate third brand, then more veteran presence on NXT can help those stars make the transition. Third, and this one admittedly would take some work, I am ready for the four horsewoman war. Woo! I dress myself in cashmere. Woo! 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 I dress myself in hundred dollar freedom flags. Who made this coat? Hugo Boss, Armani. You set up broke hell. My life just started, Jack. You keep your mouth shut. I'm gonna go in and slap your face. In fact, if WWE plays this right. The women can undertake an era of gang warfare similar to what we saw in WWE back in the late 90s and early 2000s. I think it's a mistake to wait until war games or the Survivor Series pay-per-views to start team storylines. I would instead use those two events to showcase and reward the best factions with some sort of title or trophy. I would even treat it as the Dusty Roads or Mae Young Classics and invite other factions from other promotions to compete. But to my absolute original point, I am ready for the Four Horsemen War. Yes, Ronda has to agree to return. Jessamine Duke and Marina Shafair would need to be written into the Raw storyline. And then decisions would need to be made about who would lead the faction. I know many of you are saying it's a no-brainer. That's Ronda. Maybe you're right, but I wouldn't assume that to be the case. To sell the story, the profiles of each participant need to be elevated or adjusted to make both sides appear evenly matched. For example, today, would you believe Jessamine and Marina against Sasha and Bailey is a legitimate matchup? You may already believe Becky and Charlotte against Ronda and Shayna is already compelling. But here's a twist for you. What if WWE is able to sign Tessa Blanchard, pair her with Charlotte Flair, drop Becky, but keep Sasha and Bailey? That's fantasy, I know. So many things would have to fall the right way, including desire, health, and impeccable story writing. But if done right, this could set up the women's division for a long time and may even help them surpass the men. Okay, there you have it, WWE. I take check, cash app, Bitcoin, a lot of each. And that's going to do it for this episode. Again, I can't wait to hear what you all think of this. Remember to leave a comment below if you're on the website or hit us up on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Team LLC. We'll be back next week with an all new edition, sports fans. Until then. You can do it. 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 Oh, yes, we can. And yes, we will.